0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from San Diego, California, coming to you from the Manchester Grand Hyatt right here on the water at the harbor. I've been coming to San Diego since 1971 when I was a correspondent for Newsweek. i have always amazed by its growth without getting out of control. Uh, I'm always amazed by its proximity to Mexico. And most people don't realize how, I mean, how close you really are. Uh, and uh, here to tell me how close he really is... Is the, is the mayor of Imperial Beach, California, uh, Serge Nadina. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And having a me. fellow badger. That's right. For, for those of us who know that I went to the University of Wisconsin, as did he, Mr. Mayor where is imperial beach for our listeners
3: so imperial beach is the most southwesterly city in the continental united states it's on the u.s mexico border the last stretch of the california coast maybe the most beautiful stretch of the california coast so surrounded by open space and blue waters as far as the eye can see and people don't really get down there because they don't know it's there yeah it's a little hidden it's kind of little old school southern california very much a blue collar grassroots community very friendly And uh, it's just a wonderful place to walk around. People are really nice. And we've got these wonderful beach walks you can do north and south of us that are all open space and sand dunes and birds. It's really, really beautiful.
0: Plus, I mean, here we are in San Diego. Give us a sense of, of time here. What are you, maybe 20 minutes away?
3: Yeah, you know, it just took me 20 minutes to get here, and uh, it's 20 minutes south. You can ride your bike from Coronado. You can take a ferry to Coronado and and ride your bike down the Bayshore bikeway. It's really close, but it's really far. It's like another era. You know, I tell
0: people all the time, in fact, I did a story on this from my own show on PBS. We're probably going to do one on on CBS about it. You know, here we are. We have a president who still talks about a wall uh, between the United States and Mexico, and yet in Tijuana they built a bridge.
3: Yeah, which I just used. I came back for a quarter of the hour I've done lot, it. The, the cross-border awesome.
0: express. What a, what, a, what a great idea. And everybody loves it. the Mexicans love it. We love it. Uh, more than a million people cross over that. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, literally, the whole bridge is maybe uh, you know 900 feet long. Uh, and then once you cross over it, you're in the terminal of the Tijuana airport. Next thing you know, you can fly anywhere from there.
3: Yeah, I just flew to Puerto Vallarta, and it's, I went to Nicaragua in April to go on a surf trip. So it's really revolutionized travel to Mexico and really revolutionized that airport and air travel from Tijuana.
0: And by the way, if you want to know where you can go from there, you can go to China from Tijuana. There are, there are flights now to Beijing from Tijuana. And, <laughs> and if you take airlines like Volaris, which if you look at their business model— they were really launched to try to match bus fares in Mexico, Nearly not for the U.S. market, but if you're a smart traveler, you cross the Cross Border Express, you get on a Volaris flight, you go to New York for like 100 bucks.
3: Yeah, it's a great deal. Um, I'm, we're really glad it's there. And, uh, you know, uh, it just shows why we need to be more connected to Mexico and have a border that works for everyone. And, uh, and it's good for the economy, good for the environment, and good for my city and, uh, and, and our ocean as well.
0: Well, let's talk about the ocean, because I know that's one of your your, your pet areas.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I think sometimes we, we have a little mythology of Southern California. It's just the Beach Boys, but what's really great about the coast... Well, you o- did mention surfing. Surfing. No, I love to surf, and but what we've been really trying to talk, and I'm the executive director of Wild Coast. We're an international conservation team as well as being mayor, is that the minute you set foot on the beach, you're, you're, op- you're invited to this expanse of blue wilderness. And What's been really great about conservation efforts in Southern California, all these giant wildlife um, species in the ocean, blue whales, gray whales. We had orcas not too far um, off the coast recently. Well, uh, they're passing by all the they're time. They're passing by. So you have this w- wildlife. Uh, ocean superhighway off the coast of San Diego, including right offshore. So in La Jolla Shores, uh, you can swim with hundreds of leopard sharks. So we're really lucky in San Diego to have this vibrant coast and ocean that's protected by a system of marine protected areas. And
0: obviously, it's it's key to your opportunity to, to stay alive down there because of tourism.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So that, you know, when you think about tourism in San Diego and to Baja California, we're coming to see this wild blue places. And, you know, the the ocean economy of San Diego, the blue economy is absolutely fundamentally important to our economy. And more importantly, you know, know, our San Diego way of life that, you know, the beach is ground zero for how we live our lives. Is
0: it safe to say that when you take a look at all the wildlife out there, all the coast that you have to play with, uh, all the people who literally... You know are coming down to see it all the time that that you're winning the battle in terms of protecting
3: the area uh look we've made great strides there's a lot more to do one of the things we've been really concerned about is the scourge of ocean plastic in fact national geographic this month its entire issue is devoted to the worldwide plague of ocean plastic and so one of the things we're asking people to do in san diego and those who visit is hey when you come Bring your water bottle, bring your coffee cup, and really just ask when you go to a restaurant or a bar not to use a straw. Really try to eliminate all that plastic that ultimately ends up in the ocean. And so, Did um, you see the
0: story the other day? It was just so horrendous about a whale that died after swallowing 80 plastic bags?
3: Tragic. And we're actually working with the National Industry Association of Tijuana. We hope to ban single-use plastic bags at grocery stores. Um... Fairly soon in Tijuana. And it was great to have grocery store owners and the National Manufacturers Association offer to do that. So I think people are becoming aware of the problem of plastic. And if you come to San Diego and you want to get engaged, you can volunteer for beach cleanups with I Love a Clean San Diego or the Surfrider Foundation, even Wild Coast, or just pick up some of those, those pieces of trash you see on the beach yourself.
0: Well, the cool thing about the beach cleanups, which of course is the understatement is you're doing it with people who actually live here who better to give you a tour of the area when you're done than the locals
3: absolutely and you know what i love about san diego even when i go to i visit all kinds of beaches in san diego not just my own beach of imperial beach people are really friendly take the time to ask a local or better yet talk to a super friendly lifeguard both my boys are lifeguards i went through college Paying my way as a lifeguard, ask him where the safest place to go where, was. Where were you a lifeguard? Uh, at the Silver Strand State Beach, not too far from here in Imperial Beach. Uh, 12 years, 500 rescues. Uh, it was the greatest days of my life, but paid through for college. So, including University of Wisconsin, paid my college tuition. There well, you go. The beach
0: so basically, you were on the beach to get to the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what. Oh, um, and and what did you earn your degree in? In geography there we go <laughs> something that most Americans have no clue about every year I go out to a bookstore I'm not kidding you and I buy 20 atlases to send to friends because enough is enough people don't know where they are they don't even know where they're going
3: no, that's a good point and that's why you should always ask a lifeguard where you're at where the safest place <laughs> to swim anything about the beach lifeguards love talking to visitors about how wonderful their beach is.
0: well I know a lot of lifeguards and they like talking to them for other reasons as well <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a married man now, but the bottom line is people can get involved.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, even um, we have wonderful institutions in San Diego, like the San Diego Zoological Society, the San Diego Zoo, the San Diego Natural History Museum, and the Birch Aquarium at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in La Jolla. And you can sign up for excursions and natural history tours there. Those are great ways to get educated and get involved in, in making a difference in protecting our coast and ocean here in San Diego. Speaking of
0: protecting the coast and the ocean, you know, right behind me, we got the U.S. Navy. And you can see them from the window here, right? you got all the aircraft carriers here. You've you got, you got a big fleet down here. Are you working with the Navy as well, because they have a responsibility here, too?
3: You know, absolutely. And it's been one of the wonderful, uh, my role as a mayor has been to work with the Navy. The Navy are great stewards of the environment here in San Diego, just carrying out an ambitious uh, plan to really uh, deal with sea level rise and climate change. And so, actually, we have a new Navy base for the SEAL team being built just on the north edge of Imperial Beach. And uh, they have 3,000 SEAL team members there, very little impact on the environment. They avoided all the endangered species. They're protecting birds on the beach. It's really remarkable to see the Navy take a role actively in protecting coast, the coast and ocean and ocean wildlife. And by Diego.
0: the way, if you cross the Coronado Bridge and you're heading down, let's say, towards Lowe's down there and stuff, you'll see the SEALs training out there. And I'm telling you, it's wild when they hit the beach.
3: Yeah, no, it's amazing. And, you know, to see, the, to see them with their rafts on top of their head, you know, these guys are really fit. And it really makes me feel good that... Uh, in Imperial Beach, at least, we're really trying to do everything we can to keep our coast and ocean clean to make sure the SEALs have a great place to train. But in turn, the Navy's taking remarkable steps to protect uh, co- the coast and ocean which, ecosystems in San Diego.
0: Which, by the way, wasn't the way it used to be. They used to throw everything overboard. I mean, th- their, their whole idea is just dump it. Now they've, they've turned it around.
3: Yeah, and I had the opportunity to talk to Admiral Richardson, the Director of Naval Operations for the entire Navy, and thanked him for their role. And I said, hey, I know it's not easy, but... It really makes my job easier as a conservationist and as a mayor when the Navy's a great steward of the environment. See, I have this
0: this impression of you with your surfboard on the beach, going up to a SEAL going, you know, I used to be a lifeguard. (laughs) Well,
3: you know, we surf, you know, actually not, a lot of the guys in the water are SEAL team members down in Imperial Beach and Coronado, so SEALs, are really really important part of the community. Is retired seals as well. So um, you know it, it's a big part of South San Diego County, uh, Ocean Ocean community. Now, Mr. Mayor, are you available to give surfing lessons? Uh, yeah, anybody comes down, I, they can find me at the Imperial Beach Pier Plaza all the time. I have no. Is problem that where the getting, mayor's office is? Uh, my office is literally on the second floor. My summer <laughs> office is the second floor. <laughs> my of the, summer office is on the second floor of the life I want States. your job, man. Oh yeah, I don't believe in actually having an, off, an office at City Hall. I'm on the beach most of the time. My my constituents know where to find me they are your constituents absolutely couple yeah. of retired seals and some ex-lifeguards ex uh, yeah it. those are good people to hang out with as well
1: Toto? i have a feeling we're not in kansas anymore
0: Our next guest, we saw her the last time we were in San Diego. Happy to see her again. She's a local journalist, but she writes for everybody. She writes for San Diego Magazine, Modern Luxury, and many, many more. Ann Wyckoff, how are you?
4: I'm well, thank you.
0: So every time I come to San Diego, it's not that it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, although it is. uh, It just gets more fulfilling, if you will. Is that, a better, is that a better way to say it?
4: Absolutely. I agree. I think it's getting better and better. It's evolving into this really dynamic and exciting city, and we're growing beyond just being sort of fish tacos and flip-flops and great beaches. There's a whole, whole new scene of great food, wellness, and spas, and really interesting people also living in this town.
0: And let's go beyond the fish tacos then. What's cool and hip and going on right now?
4: Well, Little Italy is definitely our sort of the epicenter of all things cool in terms of food and design. Um, There's just been exciting chefs that have shown up. There's been beautiful new restaurants, and it's got a great vibe of people, you know, on the streets, walking, stopping in for, you know, oysters at Ironside or beer on the rooftop of Born and Raised, the new steakhouse. Uh, there's a place called Urban Wood that's Brian Malarkey, who's one of our celebrity chefs. And And that's
0: all Little Italy? This
4: is all Little Italy. It's just a melting pot of great food and interesting people. And
0: where is Little Italy?
4: Little Italy is just adjacent to downtown, so it's right here near the um, Grand Hyatt.
0: And it seems like everybody's a celebrity chef, right? I mean, there's no such thing as chef anymore, it's AKA celebrity chef. I mean, isn't that getting a little old? I
4: think it is, but I think in some ways it's fun for people to watch um, these chefs on TV and sort of feel like they get to know them and then go to their restaurant and see them in action. And I think it's been, you know, successful for a lot of them to open places after being on these shows.
0: But then they've got to deliver good food.
4: Agreed. And for the most part, they have.
0: Okay, so let's talk about, you you mentioned the oysters, you mentioned the beer, you mentioned the steak. Right. Uh, What would you say is the most surprising new entrant in the restaurant field right now?
4: Well, for me, I'm most excited about Oceanside right now. Um, everyone's talking about Little Italy, but in fact, um, up in North County, Oceanside, which is...
0: Explain North County.
4: North County is um, north of the 56 freeway, so it's sort of Del Mar... Um, so about Solana 35, Beach. 40 minutes Exactly, outside of um, downtown San Diego. And by the
0: way, you come to San Diego, you're going to rent a car anyway. so
4: You're going to rent a car for yeah. sure, yeah. Um, but Oceanside is our last town before you are in Camp Pendleton and moving off to San Clemente. So it's sort of the end, the bookend of San Diego. And it's so much creativity is going on. It's like a revolution in food. Some of the most interesting restaurants and chefs are all there right
0: now. Now, Oceanside for me, was a place where you go and get a tattoo and get beaten up by Navy guys. Correct. I mean, that was the original traditional stereotype, right? Come on.
4: 100% true. 100% true. But I think what's happened is that it's sort of the last great little beach town where you still can get a house that's not, you know, $1.9 million. And all these people who live there take great pride in their city, and they've opened up all these incredible restaurants. So you're suddenly finding there's a new restaurant called Dijamara, which is uh, Balinese-inspired. So it's California fresh food with Indonesian influence and the food spectacular. Um, There are great pizza places that, you know, they're using fresh ingredients. They're some of the best sushi. Wait, wait,
0: wait. Pizza. Thin slice.
4: Thin slice. Thank you. Coal-fired thin slice. Then they've got the garden on the roof, and they're pulling, you know, fresh vegetables to put on the pizza. So just
0: for example, could I get a thin-slice four-cheese truffle pizza?
4: I believe you could, yes.
0: Okay, thank you. (laughs) I'm not not particular or anything.
4: (laughs) No, you can. And I think it's also because it's sort of... You know, driven by the individuals who live in Oceanside, they all support each other. So you've got sustainable sushi at Wrench and Rodent with um, Chef Dave and Waite. What's it called? Wrench and Rodent. It's amazing.
0: (laughs) That's an attractive name. It
4: is, but you know what? People drive from all over the city to go to that restaurant because his sushi is unbelievable.
0: Wrench and Rodent. Wrench and Rodent.
4: he's very reverent and cool so you know he's a great chef and then there's also um, I'll
0: have the eel and cockroach wrap please no, okay. <laughs>
4: there are no cockroaches
0: I know but you process. said wrench and rodent I, I know
4: like... it's a crazy name <laughs> and uh, next door there's wet noodle which is a ramen place um, Stacy Miller has a place called Miller's Table that's interesting wines and, and he, she has a today menu that's all farm fresh where she's pulling in straight from like Cyclops Farms and I don't know if most people don't realize, San Diego has 5,500 small farms. We have more...
0: Whoa, stop.
4: We do. San Diego County, I'll say, yes. to, to enlarge that situation. But it's incredible. There are so many places where you can get you know, fresh food, and we really do have authentic farm-to-table. It's not just that generic, what everyone's calling farm-to-table.
0: What would you say, speaking of farm-to-table, are the, the best farm-to-table ingredients at any particular restaurant that really stand out? You know, like, this is where you go for the tomatoes. This is where you go for the Brussels sprouts, you know.
4: I would say um, California Modern at Georgia's at the Cove. Trey Fauché has been here for 19 years. He's one of our old guard chefs who's amazing. He was working with Gina Farms way back when, and he does a, a, a dinner called Table 3 that's one table in his restaurant, and it's a 14-course meal sort of at his whim. It's like his omakase. And you sit down, and he shows you what San Diego— Is on a plate and he brings in the most beautiful vegetables and you know all from local sources a lot from Chino farms and that's a really good way to taste San Diego
0: now I'm gonna give you my metric for determining what's a great restaurant okay here it is yes has nothing to do with the ambiance it has nothing to do with the with their menu I'll get to that in a minute has nothing to do with the the speed of the service I mean it all has to to do so but the key metric for me is what foods did I hate when I was growing up that my mother used to make me eat that these guys do in such a way, I can't wait to have them. Okay, so right. you know we're talking Brussels sprouts.
4: Of course, I was yeah. going to say. And you know that that was the trendiest. I mean, four years ago, it was all about Brussels sprouts. Every restaurant has Brussels sprouts. I think cauliflower is actually the new trendy food right now.
0: Oh, so I've I've, I've missed my deal. Okay, Just trying to keep you up to speed. Okay, thanks. But let's go back to the Brussels sprouts. Who's got the best Brussels sprouts? Because whoever's got the best Brussels sprouts, I'm, that's my restaurant. That's <sighs> your restaurant. Only because I used to hate them
4: got to thank who has well. And best by the way, of
0: struts. nobody does lima beans well. If I go to a restaurant that even has lima beans on the menu, I won't go in. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. I like lima beans. All right. All right, you just, the, you just threw the gauntlet down. Who's got the best lima beans know, in San Diego? You can't tell me. I can't because I no know. one serves them. Thank you. Maybe fava beans. Thank you. Okay, it's because my mother likes lima beans. We, well, eat them, we eat them at home. Listen, my mother. This is going to sound so politically incorrect, but it's 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 a true story. My mother would make me lima beans and would insist I eat every one of them because of all the starving children in India. Mm. That was her line. And, and after about the third attempt at this, I looked at her and said, I think I know why they're starving in India because they hate these lima beans too. Oh, you're traumatized oh my god so for me to if I can go to a restaurant this is a challenge next time I come to San Diego you better deliver on this all right find me a place just for the heck of it that does unbelievably great lima beans okay it's on my list and you know if I'm in the supermarket and I pass the frozen fruit section and they're the bird's eye lima beans I run For the hills. Oh, oh, for the next (laughs) county. What are you talking about? But Brussels sprouts, go ahead.
4: So Brussels sprouts, Urban Wood has great Brussels sprouts. I also like them. um, Public Priority has great Brussels sprouts. We've gone there. That's up in North County. Um, Bobo has good Brussels sprouts as well. Bobo? Yeah, Bobo. Is that
0: next to Wrench and Rodent? No. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going for the titles here. I mean, the title does get your attention.
4: Yeah. For it sure. does.
0: It does. For sure. All right. So they do have great Brussels sprouts.
4: Yes. Oh, absolutely. They're all over. They're on every menu.
0: They are now. But now you mentioned cauliflower
4: cauliflower steaks, cauliflower rice, cauliflower pizza crusts. You know, the whole vegan and vegetarian movement obviously is um, very strong here as well. And you know what
0: bothers me about vegans? Tell me. Okay. I have nothing personal against them, but they speak like deranged librarians, okay? <laughs> because they whisper. Stop speaking! I'm a vegan. I love vegan food. Okay, bye, bye. So funny! Stop that speaking like that.
4: If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a-
0: As many of you know, I am not a meat eater. I'm a pescatarian, so my next guest has particular interest to in me because he holds a title that you don't hear very much in the U.S. I was just recently in the United Kingdom, and you hear it every day there. It's fishmonger, and uh, he owns something called Catalina Offshore. He knows fish. His name, Tommy Gomes. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me down here. Yeah. Now, you know, your whole heritage is Portuguese. Yeah, we've been in Which, San... which means you're a fisherman. Yeah. Well, we try and go catch them. Yeah. Yeah, And you do. Uh, But the thing that always amazes me is, you know, how do you catch them? How do you protect them? And how do you make sure that there are more to catch when you're done? Well, as our planet gets smaller because we're overpopulating,
5: and we've become so we're, we're over harvesting our oceans and our electronics have taken away our heritage and our sea time and our tradition so it's a different ball game change the balance hugely hugely and and then we have a black market that's being influxed into the united states and all around the world is uh, europe has a black market coming into play as well so we really how, how does
0: the black market work
5: uh well just like any other black market we have pirate vessels no flags no countries no permits no licenses uh, they're fishing illegally in closed areas. They're over-harvesting. They're going way over quotas. They're offloading on other ships at sea in the middle of the ocean, which have no flags, which have no country of origin. So, And that's still coming into the, the U.S. It's still, I mean,
0: I remember you know the story on the Faroe Islands uh, off the coast, uh, not far from Norway, where they just completely outfished the cod. Right, and that was another thing of just being, we weren't,
5: thinking sustainable we weren't thinking next year next month next season we were thinking in the now and it was a big race and you want to be the first one loaded up your boat you want to be the first one at the market dockside to get the x vessel price the dockside market price first one high price last one you get the low ball price so
0: what do we see here in san diego in terms of the fish that are the most at risk uh and what have you done to protect them Well, San Diego at one time was the largest
5: fishing fleet in the world right up until 1985. I mean, it's well known that we were the best tuna fleet in the world. Um, Now, with the way California is, the most well-managed and well most respected fishery is the California spiny lobster fishery. And it's going to be around for a while. We have a little bit of push with the recreational hoop netters against the commercial fishermen. But, uh, and then our overseas market is driving that price through the roof, which is good for the commercial fishermen. Yes, but maybe not good for the fish. It is good for the fish because it's such a short season and there's a size limit. And now they're coming into play. New government standards are coming into play with the limited number of traps that you're allowed to fish. So that all plays into a factor of being sustainable down the road. So when you go out there to get your fish, what are you coming back with these days? Yeah, locally, you're coming back um, yellowtail, white sea bass, halibut, rockfish, lobsters, box crab, stone crab, offshore a little bit. Stone crab? Yeah, like the Florida stone crab, a very, very close cousin.
0: Same kind of reproductive aspects?
5: Yeah, pull the claw off and it regrows. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Regenerate? Yeah. Yeah yeah uh very very close florida ones are just a little bit sweeter
0: yeah but with the right mustard mayonnaise sauce it's not gonna make a difference oh you only (laughs) want to do that if it's old (laughs) and i don't mean in age i mean out of the water old okay so tell me this i'm going shopping at the store not just going to the restaurant what do i look for to make sure i'm getting the right fish well gone are the days of fishmongers and real true
5: honest fish markets um It was the Brady Bunch. Alice was dating Sam the Butcher. We remember that. We remember the bread man in our neighborhood. We remember things like that. But now we go to grocery stores and we get everything in one-stop shop. And what I've developed is I am the first stop from the dock. Our fish is coming right off of boats going into a case, and the next stop is your plate. So we have to... So you're doing a lot of dayboat stuff. A lot of dayboat stuff, and... We educate, promote,
0: and we have fun because our food has changed in this country. When we come back, I want to talk to you about specifically when you're at a restaurant, specifically when you're actually at a a regular store, not just your place. What do you actually look for to make sure you know you're getting the right stuff? We've been speaking to a real-life Fishmonger Tommy Gomes, whose family goes back years and years and years in the fishing business, he's Portuguese. It stands to reason. You go to San Francisco, somebody says they're Portuguese, you know they were in the fishing business. Roger you, go to, that. you go to Hawaii, somebody tells you they're Portuguese, they were in the fishing business. Correct? Absolutely. So let's talk about I go to the restaurant, you know, how do I responsibly order fish? Uh, because some of it's mislabeled. Some of it is a lot of sushi is mislabeled these days, um, and people need to know what they're getting.
5: So trace and trust uh, when it comes to seafood is very uh, shadowy, if you will, Uh, smoke and mirrors. Uh, For instance, Escalar is being called white tuna. It's not a white tuna. Escalar is something that if you ingest too much of, you could have uh, stomach problems and things like that. Um, What you need to do is you just need to be aware, and this comes from your food across the board because our food's changing. You have to know the source. If you go into a restaurant like here in San Diego and it's not swordfish season and you see local fresh swordfish on the menu, the average consumer doesn't know, but I would know. Okay, when is swordfish season? Well, we have offshore drift net season and we have harpoon season, so in the summer months. And... These are things that you want. You want to ask questions. You so want if you if you see swordfish on the menu in November, it ain't from here. It might be local as far as Mexico goes. You see what I'm saying? What is really local is it anything caught with and harvested and landed within 200 miles? So if I'm 200 miles south and I catch it and I bring it back to my home port, is that local? I believe it is because it's caught within 200 miles of the point sold. Right. But you don't want seafood with if your seafood that you're eating has more frequent flyer miles on it than your American Express credit card. There's a problem. You I know? got it.
0: But a lot of restaurants will like to you know get you a Maine lobster. You know they had to fly that one in.
5: But you knew that when you when you ordered it on the menu. But you knew that when you ordered it on the menu. Yeah. So a lot of menus have sea bass. Is it white sea bass? Is it a Brazino sea bass? Is it a Chilean sea bass? Is it what kind of sea bass is it? There's all these different species of sea bass. So, and most
0: of the time, your server won't know the answer. Correct. So you can ask
5: the chef. Um, some of the things that you can ask is where, where are who's your purveyor? Where are you getting it from? And, and go from there. And the best thing you can do is to buy your seafood. Uh, I know you asked about restaurants, but if you buy your seafood at a shop, just ask and get to know that fishmonger or the counter people there at the counter and get to know them and, and let them know that you're you're concerned about what you're eating. And, of course, there's how many different types of tuna? <laughs> uh, there's dogfish tuna, skipjack tuna, albacore tuna, big eye tuna, yellowfin tuna. There's tuna piano. There's tuna fish. There's tuna, tuna, tuna. <laughs> Did you just say tuna piano? <laughs> yeah, I remember that old, uh, what was that? Was that Cat Stevens? Oh, know. God, okay. You can't tune a piano, but you can tune a fish or something like that.
0: You know, you were doing so well. Until you right up, yeah, yeah. I, know. I know, you, you blew it. I got flying monkeys in my back. What do you want? <laughs> but is there one fish that consistently misleads
5: on the menu? Yeah, tilapia. Which is no nutritional value whatsoever, and, and you should not be eating that. There's no reason to eat that. There's much better fish out there. And Escalar in the sushi bars. And there's another one, uh, Swai, S-W-A-I. You remember that little conflict we had in the 60s and the early 70s over in Southeast Asia? There was a river there called the Mekong Delta. Yeah. The big Swai farms are in the Mekong Delta. So you ask yourself, would you really want to eat something that's being grown in that river? I yeah. Got it we're we're flooding our shores with this inferior product because it's super cheap and it comes in four ounces bloodline out skin off no bones and it doesn't taste like fish well if that's what you're looking for that's called a chicken breast that we can get from foster farms
0: (laughs) and of course there's the farm raised salmon so look and it's brutal it's getting better well, oh, they, they are getting better.
5: So the fact of the matter is is that we have to feed the masses, okay? And if the if people didn't start paying attention, what we'd have is like a soylent green. Remember the movie? Charlton okay. Heston. Yeah, okay. Everybody's Googling that right now. Um, yeah,
0: anybody under the age of us.
5: <laughs> y- yikes. So um, our salmon that is being farmed raised is absolutely turn the corner, and it's great. Saiku salmon coming out of New Zealand is some of the finest farm-raised salmon in the world. Unfortunately for the salmon companies that are doing the right thing, that are feeding them, that aren't aren't feeding these fish, beef, chicken, or pork byproducts, that aren't using pig blood as a binding agent, or chicken feathers, because if you don't eat meat, pork, because of religious or health purposes, why would you want to eat a piece of fish that's being fed that? So the, the masses of fish farms are changing because the people are concerned about this now. And then you have the feed factor. When, you, when that fish doesn't feed, doesn't eat everything, and it goes down to the bottom, and then it, it rots and causes a, an acid, and then we have a dead zone underneath those pens that are in the open ocean, and then we have tube worms that are growing in the sand, and there's all this stuff that happens to our water core, and it's not... It's getting better, and it's getting better fast. Riding along in my automobile
6: My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at wwwaudiblepodcastcom travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. Joining us now, the dining, wine, and lifestyle reporter. I would say the dining, the wine, the lifestyle reporter for the San Diego Union Tribune, Michelle Parente. How are you, Michelle?
2: Great. Thank you for having me, Peter
0: wine <laughs> fine wine fine dining i i'm sorry i just have to do that That's okay. but you got a great job because you, you have, get the dine and wine
2: yeah i've got a great job in
0: in a place by the way that is now it didn't used to be i have to say it uh when i first came down to san diego it was you know you're lucky if you had you know fish and chips right things have changed i mean just dramatically even since the last time we spoke
2: right it's unrecognizable my parents moved here when i was a freshman in college that was a long time ago and there was nothing um and you know there was tony's well we yeah there was Tony's. tony's
0: which is gone now right yeah yes it's gone
2: we we were from new york so we wanted good food and it was it was a challenge and right now, it yeah, but wait is, a second. In New York, yes. when you say
0: good food, it could be good Italian, good Chinese, good yes. deli. Yes, good, right. Yes, that's yes. the problem. Yes. You couldn't get that here. No,
2: you could not. You could not. There were some like classic Italian places that we went to, like the old, you know, checkered tablecloth. Yeah. Red sauce Maybe, kinds of places, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, and then the seafood places had mahi mahi. That was it. We have they mahi did, mahi. They did what's on the menu tonight? Oh, we have mahi, uh, our special. Mahi. What's that? Mahi mahi.
2: <laughs> right. So right now, it is so exciting to be a food lover in San Diego. We're having a barbecue boom. We've got ramen everywhere. There are these pockets. Now, of- you know
0: what's happening now? It's it's just barbecue, ramen, and poke.
2: Well, there is a lot of that. No, there's everything here yeah. because you know we've got fantastic fine dining with you know the freshest ingredients from our wonderful farms here in San Diego we've got authentic Mexican food we've got high-end Italian food it's just a really great time
0: what's been the biggest surprise to you Then
2: the biggest surprise is that service has not kept up with the quality of the food I'm on uh, yeah I'm sorry to say that it still feels a little too casual well, elite. can I make a suggestion?
0: Yes. And it's not particular to San Diego at all. Right. You know, you go anywhere else in the world, the people who are there working at those restaurants, it's not a job for them, it's a profession. Right. They they love what they do. They do it well. Oh. They they have a style. They have a rhythm. Right. They have a, a way of doing things that, that it, it works. And you know that they got there that day because they wanted to be there. Yeah. We don't have that in this country as much.
2: Well... Uh, Although you know, to me, if when I go to Seattle, when I go to New York, when I go to L.A., even Orange County, I feel like the servers are much better trained. So okay. they're very well meaning here. But wait a second, you can
0: train anybody to be a better server. That doesn't mean they're going to want to be there.
2: Well, I know. Well, I was a waitress for ten years. I didn't want to be there, but I was still a really good waitress. And now, wait, she was a waitress for ten years, she didn't want to be there, and now she complains about the service. <laughs> exactly. You're so busted. Well, I, I feel like I'm. I I know what it takes to be a good. Wait- Waitress or, or waiter. And, and obviously, a, you didn't have it because you're t- not doing
0: it anymore.
2: <laughs> it's a tough job. Um, but anyway, I mean, that is not a huge concern of mine. Um, you know, I still think that it's a very reasonably priced city to go out to dinner, um, which is good because everything else here is Listen, super expensive. You go out to dinner
0: in Los Angeles. You're talking three digits. Yeah.
2: No, L.A., I mean, the food scene in L.A. obviously is phenomenal. To me, it's the most exciting food city in America right now. But you better be prepared to spend. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I I guess because I eat for a living, it's worth it to me, you know.
0: Right. But here in San Diego, at least it's more reasonable
2: it is you can still drop some money but those places are pretty few and far between san diegans don't like to spend a lot of money on food now your whole background you said you're from new york when when we last talked
0: i mentioned it then i'll mention it again now you i mean you guys are doing hard news Yes. Yes, and in fact, you were part of the team that won the Pulitzer Prize. Yes. Let's not let's not like like skirt around that. I'm okay. sitting here with a Pulitzer Prize winner.
2: <laughs> Thank you. We, we were there. Were a lot of us on the team, but yeah, those um, my early days in journalism. I was a very hard news reporter, crime during the crack wars in New York. City Hall, I covered Mayor Giuliani, I covered the State Capitol, I was an education reporter. So I cannot tell you what being a dining writer means to me at this well, point in my
0: career. Would it be safe, <laughs> all kidding aside, would it be safe for me to say that you've applied your hard new skills to reporting on food?
2: Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm not, there There are probably investigative pieces I could be doing, um, but I, we have but someone- But you're too busy saying Garcon? Uh, <laughs> I'm too busy eating. I really focus on the food and the experience because every person that I come into contact with, when they find out what I do, that's all they want to talk about. Then they want to ask me for recommendations and have I eaten here and have I eaten there? And have you? Yes. Yes. I've eaten (laughs) a lot of places.
0: (laughs) Well, we're coming from the Grand Hyatt now, right? Which is, let's face it, it's a large hotel. Yes, uh, it's a hotel where there are a lot of conventions, mm-hmm. a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. But the food service here has gotten way up. I mean, yes. they, they, they it's no longer. To, look, when you're doing banquet service, right? That's one thing you do. You know, you're doing a convention of five thousand people. You're somewhat limited in how how wild you can get, mm-hmm. right? But for just the individual guests who are staying here. You're giving them more choice as well
2: yeah absolutely and the restaurant here the specialty restaurant sally's is very good and they have this beautiful water view and you can sit outside and count your lucky stars that you're living in san diego
0: and by the way for those people who've not been down here you're looking right at the harbor right you can't miss it no and in the morning as i did this morning you look out your window and you see the whole u.s navy come by (laughs) i mean it's it's the coolest
2: yeah no this is a pretty fantastic special place to live
0: so what's been your most surprising development in the dining scene here? Not that the, all the chefs are showing up, not that there's so many new restaurants, mm-hmm. but what's the one that came out of nowhere?
2: Like a trend that came out of nowhere? Or a restaurant that
0: came out of nowhere.
2: Okay, well, there's one that opened up in Little Italy last year, late last year. It's called Born and Raised. and I it, like that name. Yeah, it is unbelievable. And it's from this restaurant group called Consortium Holdings. And they are like the hipster restaurant group of all time. Every trendy bar in San Diego is owned by them. They just opened a new one. Um, but anyway, you know, food has always been important to them, but never to this extent. They opened this restaurant. They spent $6.5 million on the restaurant, which in San Diego is a ton of money. That's basically pocket change in New York if you want to open a restaurant. But, And it, they opened it up, and it is this hip, glamorous, retro steakhouse where they have, you know, tuxedoed waiters wearing sneakers with bar carts and making, you know, tableside Caesar salads and steak Diane. It is so delicious. It is gorgeous. It's in the hottest neighborhood in all of San Diego. It's the hottest place to be. And, and,
0: the, and, the, signature, blew me away. and the signature dish,
2: the signature dish. Well, is a steak. They've got their own aging room right there and they butcher their own meat. Um, to me, it was the, spaghetti lemon spaghetti with uni very surprising in a steakhouse
0: we've been talking to michelle parente the dining fine whining and dining i have to say it uh, <laughs> reporter for the san diego union tribune uh two things that have happened at least in this county uh over the last 20 years and one of them has happened in so many other locations around the, uh, the country and that's craft beer right and all the all the you know the artisanal breweries that are popping up I mean, I was recently in Denver, and in Denver alone, there are 80
2: breweries in Denver. Yeah. 80. Well, we've got over 100. Sorry to play. Mine is bigger than yours, but we do. Well, yours just <laughs> got bigger than ours. I mean,
0: that's, that's and they're all small batch, right? Yeah.
2: Well, no, not all of them. I mean, yeah. like Stone, which is our biggest one, is not small batch, and... Um, but most of them are yeah most of them are and i went to an industry event on monday actually and i met this couple that opened their own brewery and you know they're doing i think it was a thousand barrels which is not tiny but um you know we have a real style here this really super hoppy ipa style that turns some people off but san diego has become known for it and it is a beautiful thing i mean there are breweries in every part of the county and every restaurant better, you know, put together a good beer list because people are watching. And they're drinking. And they're drinking, right?
0: <laughs> now, that was the first development. Yes. Okay. So yours is even more than Denver. I got it. But then the other development, of course, is the casinos.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, San Diego, the county um, has nine within the county <clears throat> limits and then there's one that we consider as part of our area right over the border in temecula so that's ten
0: and how many there are indian casinos
2: all of them every one of them. every single one of them they have to be right and they're all on indian land um and you know they've been around a few of them have been around for about 30 something years
0: i'm feeling old now
2: but they started as very modest bingo halls in a tent Or an aluminum siding, you know, um, and now they are glitzy, gazillion-dollar full-scale resorts um, that rival anything in uh, in Las Vegas, other than the entertainment. Other, well, you know, but they book really. You know, we don't have anybody in residence, but they book total name acts because they all have arenas too yeah i mean they have championship golf courses they've got spas they've got really good food
0: i was about to get to that yes
2: i of course write about the food at the casinos too but beautiful hotels they've been adding hotel towers two places just opened their second and third hotel tower um and one just opened one that was all suites adult only with I mean, it is so swanky, but in a beautiful, classy way. You
0: know, there are some casinos, they just opened one in Las Vegas, that are geared only to the Chinese.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Mm-hmm. Lucky Dragon. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the one. But, if you want great food, right? forget the gambling, you want to get great Chinese food, that's right. where you
2: go. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, they're not doing as well as I thought they were going to be doing. They've had to close some of their restaurants, well, but... But it wasn't because of the
0: food. It was because of the flow of right. the people. Right. My guess would be, and I'm, I'm not there to report on it, but my guess would be that the folks who are coming to Vegas to gamble from China want the Las Vegas experience more than they want the Chinese experience.
2: Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll tell you, I went to a, an event at, one, at the biggest casino in the area. It's called Pechanga um, Resort and Casino. And it's the largest hotel on the West Coast. Um, and uh, at this event, there were about 200 media members and 70% of them were from Asian media and some of them were bro- broadcasting live to Asia because it is such a huge draw um, from Asia. Um, but that's not all. I mean, it draw we draw people from Mexico. Um, You know from la because there are no casinos like this in la there's no casinos like this anywhere um Mm. you know palm springs palm springs has a handful of resort casinos but the extent that the money that has been poured in um they've been spending about a billion dollars in expanding these casinos
0: and the reason why they can spend that kind of money is because people are dropping they're
2: dropping their money exactly
0: is there such a thing as great casino food
2: Oh, yes. I mean, there are two in particular. One is um, called Valley View. It's in the North County and then Barona Resort and Casino here in the East County. And I think their food rivals anything I have in restaurants outside of a casino. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's quite a statement. Yeah. No. I mean, really high quality.
0: So. How many people do you actually think will go to those casinos for the food? (laughs)
2: Oh, they're packed. They are absolutely packed, and and there are families um, celebrating birthdays. There are anniversary dinners. I have to say, I've been to a casino steakhouse for Thanksgiving. Um... (laughs) Okay, we'll have have to talk about that. Dysfunctional family. Hello, Uh,
6: this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. It's a motor running.
5: Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And
1: whatever comes our way. Yeah, I gotta
0: go make it Take the world in a loving Actually, we go I a go back. God, I think about let's see boom 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 2006 so we're at uh we're a while 12 years yes 12 years ago we were doing uh, a two-hour special for nbc on a week in the life of american airlines of course american airlines based in dallas at dfw and we stayed uh, the entire crew we were there for a long time at the uh, there are two hotels there at, at dfw there's there's the grand hyatt and there's the uh, and then there's the other Hyatt, and uh, we always wanted to do the Grand Hyatt. It was the newest hotel, and it had the coolest restaurant. And you know, when you think airport hotels in 2006, restaurants didn't come to mind, but the airport ho- hotel there and their restaurant did. And the chef there is now the chef here. It's Sripola. How are you, sir? Good, sir. How are you? I good? should say Sawadika. Ah, uh, Sawadika. So from Thailand, but now living in San Diego. Well, listen, you went from an airport hotel. Where you basically perfected—I mean, your wine list alone there was huge. I mean, right? You—you you had wine tastings every night. It was—that's yep. why my crew wanted to be there. You know yep. that. We know. did the wine tasting and the cheese tasting there. Exactly, yep. but now you've gone from an airport hotel to a massive 1,600-room hotel here—a a, 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 a much more of a challenge. You got a lot more people to feed. Yes, sir. How many different kitchens
6: here? We have like about three. Main large kitchen that we have here is the banquet kitchen, and then we have a room service kitchen that support another. A dedicated
0: room service kitchen.
6: Yes, that support uh, both of the tower, and then we have Sally's kitchen, which is our uh, specialty dining restaurant, that one of the third largest one, and of course, we got the uh, breakfast kitchen as well. Now
0: you're a Hyatt veteran. You've been around for what, 27 years. Yes, sir. So
6: they haven't found out yet, huh? <laughs> What's been the biggest challenge for you at this hotel? The biggest challenge for us is probably how um, we organize our team because of the value that we do. Um, we have to be super organized, right? If we don't, um, then we're going to fall apart. But um, being in California, I think, uh, compared to Texas, is we, we're very fortunate to have everything that we want. From you can seafood. source everything. Yes, from seafood to produce, uh, everything that we need is 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 probably uh, the best uh, being out here on the west side of the uh, United States.
0: Well, I was just told that in San Diego County alone, you have something more than five thousand farms. Yep. So if you can't source it here, you can't source it anywhere. Yep. Exactly. What's what's your biggest? What was your biggest surprise when you came here about what you
6: could source? Um, it's probably more of the. Uh, proteins, the 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 meat part, uh, because coming from Texas uh, now, most of the meat, good meat part, is coming from the Meat West of the U.S. So to get some quality beef, um, uh, sometimes is a little challenge for us. But then, of course, you know nowadays you can get pretty much everything out here. So
0: within a day, it just comes in.
6: <laughs> Depends on how much you're willing to pay, right?
0: It, <laughs> it always gets down to the money. Come on, you know that. Yes. Uh, Now, I always ask the chefs this question, and you're no exception. I'm going to have to ask you this, too. Mm -hmm. When you got here and you said, okay, I've got a lot to work with here, right? So it's it's this blank canvas. I'm now going to paint on it. I'm now going to create a menu. What was the one thing you put on your menu and you said, everybody's going to love this. It can't miss, and it failed. And then what was the one thing you said, do I have to put this on the menu? Really? And everybody wanted it.
6: Well, the first thing, coming from Texas, I was trying to put a... um you know, live out there for a while, I thought, you know, this California need to try some kind of a brisket, right, or, or some kind of smoke rib, and I thought it's going to go well. Because you came from rib country. Exactly, and, you know, it, it doesn't go so well, um, <laughs> but I think I still try to push that, so hopefully um, they'll learn how to eat um, a brisket and a smoke uh, rib.
1: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: My next guest recently moved here from Arizona, where he was the, uh, the GM at the Scottsdale Resort and Spa, otherwise known as Ganey Ranch, another Hyatt. Daniel Coopersmith, how are you? I'm doing
7: great, thank you.
0: The, the big cheese here at the, at, the, at the Manchester Grand Hyatt.
7: It's thrilled to be here.
0: This is a big hotel. Sure. How, how many rooms are we talking about? 1,628 rooms. As I said, a big hotel. Yes. I mean, is this the biggest hotel you've ever managed? Absolutely. And it comes with its own set of challenges, doesn't it? No question. I mean, the la- the first time, I won't say the last time, but the first time I was in this hotel was the Republican National Convention, I believe, back in 96, uh, when Bob Dole was running against uh, Bill Clinton. And this place was crazy, because you're on the water, right? So you have Secret Service out there, Then you have the Navy right in your backyard. It is your
7: backyard, right? Yeah.
0: It's a different set of circumstances,
7: isn't it? No question. You know, it's two 40-story towers. There could be up to three to 5,000 people flowing through the building at any given time. So there's, there's a lot to think about in moving people through the property and making sure everyone's safe and secure and they're having a great time.
0: Well, you mentioned safety and security. I mean, that's got to be a big challenge these days, no matter where you're the general manager. No question. I mean, you know, it, it always amazes me. That you know, hotels never close their doors. I mean, you, you you don't have a lock. You don't even have a lock on your door. No, I don't know a hotel that does, unless they're Chapter Seven, right? And even then, we only, we went through the whole thing with the, uh, you know, all the, the, the bankruptcies caused by the the FDIC coming in and and, and then operating hotels. If you remember that sure. in Arizona, a lot with Enchantment and all those places. So, what can you do uh, in this uncertain time, uh, in terms of security? To really protect the guests. I mean, after the incident in Las Vegas, at the Mandalay Bay, many corporations said, okay, the do not disturb sign has a different meaning for us now. We're going to entrust our staff. In fact, we're going to enable our staff to to deal with that in a different way. Right. I mean, I've always said, unless you know, there's a honeymoon couple in there. Right. If that, if
7: that signs on for more than like 10 hours, somebody knocks absolutely and that's the new standard with hyatt but it's beyond that it that's one piece but it's making sure that we're training the staff and talking about it every day and if they see something that is just a little off uh that they're saying something to the right managers to make sure we're we're all eyes on um and the littlest thing could be something bigger so we spend a lot of time talking to the teams about Watching their surroundings and understanding how our guests are reacting to the building and, and as they walk through the building, how we react to that. Well, doesn't
0: it always get down to the art of the conversation of engaging the guests? I mean, not to, like, not to, propri- not to pry into proprietary information, but
7: basically saying have a conversation with your guests because that will tell you a lot. No question. No question. And so when they arrive, we're watching what their behavior every guest, what their behavior looks like. Are they here for pleasure? Are they here it's empathetic, right? It's right. how do we react to the guest to make their experience the best that it could possibly be while they're here? And if through that conversation we see something that's a little off, then we begin to escalate that or, or, or evaluate it better.
0: You know, if you look at the history of hotel security, you know, traditionally it was it was really aimed at two things, right? Keeping unwanted ladies of the night out. And employee theft. I mean, that was basically what hotel security guys did. They were were ex-cops who then put in their 20 years in the city and then started working at the hotel. Right. That's changed. Completely. Right? Yep. I mean, right now, you know, if you take a look at anything that's ever happened in the last five years at a hotel, how many, I mean, you have dozens, if not hundreds, of digital cameras. Uh, They're 24-7, time-coded, right? You know where, we're not talking in guest rooms, we're talking in public rooms, right? And that's not just to see who's stealing a bag. It's to see who's not supposed to be here.
7: Well, that and just making sure that we're watching and flow and, and those things. So um, it, we're much more attuned to it today with the cameras, with the training that takes place in security. But not only security. It's everyone from housekeepers to right. you know, loading dock folks that are watching all the time. Because if you take a look at the
0: activity of this hotel, it's, it's amazing. I mean, at any given entrance point, and you have many of them because you mentioned the loading docks that go into the big meeting rooms. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. Right? I mean, the one thing I noticed that, that proved that point was when I checked into the hotel today and I was going to the elevator, you have basically a little snack area, right, that's open 24 hours a day. I don't know a hotel that has a snack area open 24 hours. Room service is one thing. Your snack area is 24 hours a day. Yes. Which means there's always something going on. Always.
7: Wow. What was the biggest surprise to you coming to this to this hotel and to this city? Um, for the city, the biggest surprise, which isn't really a surprise, but it's probably the most... Um, the greatest part about being here is the weather's spectacular. The views from this hotel are spectacular, they are. right? So, I was glued to my window today, just watch the Navy go by. Yeah, that's all you do, is you watch the Navy go by. It's, it's a little distracting, but my office looks at the, at the bay, and sometimes you see a boat go by and you just stop for
2: minute. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast
1: from the new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail.